Well, as we come to time when we will worship in prayer, I would like to take a few minutes to talk church family time and a number of things that we should talk about that I know will lead us to a time of prayer. Uh, Of course, as we pray together in a moment, we will be wanting to pray for God's care for all of us in this uh, tumultuous time, not only with uh, a pandemic, but also with the other elements taking place in our country that make our hearts so sad. But as we take our journey there, I want to say thank you for a couple of things. First of all, uh, through these days, um, uh, this little stack of notes represents just a few of the thank you notes that we've received from many of you for live stream, for different types of ministry, and uh, we are so thankful uh, that God allows us to continue so many areas of ministry, even though they look different uh, from what we're used to. But thank you for, uh, to all of you who respond with gratefulness and joy and a shared ministry, and we so appreciate the encouragement that comes from those things. Um, Let's see here. I also want to thank you, uh, many of you who prayed this last week, my involvement with the European Leadership Forum. You knew that I was out last Sunday and uh, involved with some speaking engagements that covered uh, Europe. And um, I'm so grateful I should have been in Poland during that time. But many of you prayed with me and for me, uh, able to have a lot of good ministry with, with pastors and church leaders from a whole number of countries. Want to let you know as well, if you would like to be a part of that, uh, even now that it's done, all the plenary sessions are available on YouTube. Some of you have been watching those anyway, but there are a whole number of plenary sessions. You can pick up YouTube, European Leadership Forum 2020, and you'll find all of those. Now, if you read our e-bulletin, you saw a couple of announcements that I put in there for this week, and I want to just talk about that together. Uh, I mentioned, first of all, that as our as our county moves along in the various phases, as you're all well too familiar with, uh, we appear to be with, in a short distance, maybe, of stepping into phase two, maybe as early as next weekend, uh, or maybe not weeks until for weeks from now. But I wanted to say a few things about about that, Uh, things that I put in the e-bulletin. As soon as we get to phase two and we are open for uh, groups of up to 50, we intend to, to, to go there. And again, it could be as early as next week, which is a communion Sunday. Um, now, a number of you have let us know that even when our doors open again, even for small groups, you're going to take your time coming back. No worries. God bless you. We'll continue the live stream for an uh, uh, undetermined amount of time, probably quite a while, indefinitely, I would say. So we will, we will still be here with you on Sunday mornings. No worries about that. If you're going to be worshiping at home next Sunday, uh, communion time, you'll want to take this week to get those elements and be prepared to, to share communion with us. And of course, if you join us here, if that's uh, where we're going to be, um, things will look a little different. And I know that you'll come prepared to be flexible. Now, more about that in just a moment. My second announcement in the e-bulletin related to the, uh, an opportunity for outdoor worship, as you know, uh, is now allowed for groups of up to 100. And we have not done that on a Sunday for a whole variety of reasons that I won't step into right now. But Saturday night at 6, when the neighbors are not sleeping in, it seemed like an opportunity that we might gather together, if you'd like, here in our parking lot at the station 
uh, six o'clock Saturday night. If you want to come worship with us in that setting, oh, boundaries and all of those things that I won't repeat that you're tired of hearing, but they're nonetheless real. Uh, we invite you to do that. There'll be maybe uh, 40, 45 minutes, mainly worship together in music. And um, that'll be it for the night. But if you'd like to join us Saturday, 6 p.m., you can surely do that. Now, I want to, I want to talk, as I promised, uh, a little more about this meeting together again. On May 3rd, Sunday, I preached a sermon about unity in the body of Christ. And that has been a topic of much conversation, not only in our church family, but even beyond. I've been contacted by some other groups who have, have used some of the same uh, f- uh, discussion of six lenses through which people view all of this and posted that sermon on their websites and so on. And it has touched a chord because it's so real and, may I say, so raw for all of us. The different ways that good, Jesus-loving, Bible-loving people are viewing all of these circumstances and perhaps intending to think that their one view is a little more righteous and correct than anybody else. And uh, that's troubling to me. Not that you have a view. It's troubling when those things become divisive and uh, are used for purposes that violate Scripture. And so I just want to encourage us as we get ready to come back together Um, Those six lenses continue to be real in our church family. God love y'all. And as we meet together, um, I just want to remind us of the importance of kindness and humility to one another. In the foyer, as we meet together, as things will look a little different, the things that we say, the way we poke other people, you know, I I just think a, a good dose of humility will do us all some good. And I want to do a couple of things to help us get there, all right? Um, I would like to read first from Philippians chapter 2, and I want you to hear the word of God and know that I'm not, I'm not making up uh, what I'm saying to all of us today, okay? Hear the word of God, Philippians chapter 2, a chapter on humility. The Apostle Paul says this in the New American Standard, He says, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, Regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then Paul begins to tell the story of Jesus, who set aside his rights to be worshipped as God, far greater than any rights I have or you have. He set aside those rights and in great humility entered our broken world there to become our Savior and Redeemer. And Paul lifts him up in his humility as an example for all of us. Uh, A couple of things here. I I appreciated a brief email from one of you who has a, a son on a church staff in another part of the country. And I thought, huh, yes, I resonate with this. A particular church staff in Texas 
has announced that they're going to reopen July 11 and 12, Saturday, Sunday. And the pastor there said that after putting out that announcement, within seven minutes, he got two emails. One accused him of not caring uh, if people were dying. And the second email accused him of not opening soon enough and therefore not being faithful. And I thought, huh, Texas, as in Washington. Yes, I understand. And then my friend, Toby Beck, uh, another IFCA pastor down at at Evergreen Bible Church in in Vancouver, in their weekly uh, newsletter, he has a little paragraph that I'll just read a little part of. He says, why we're waiting to reopen. He says, when are we going to start having church again? This is the number one question I hear these days. Many are wanting to start immediately, regardless of the governor's orders. While others feel stronger, we must wait till the all-clear is sounded. Our leadership team met a week ago to discuss what God would have us to do. Now, he says, we quickly discovered that views on the leadership team were just as diverse as those of the rest of our people, indeed. And he says, we agreed it's quite possible to make a biblical case for both positions. And therefore, he says, the first decision we made was to temper our perspective with Romans 14, 13. He calls it the COVID paraphrase. You understand. And here's what he wrote. The one who believes we should resume worship gatherings immediately must not look down on the one who does not. And the one who believes we should wait must not condemn the one who believes we should start. For God has accepted him. I think we could plug a lot of things in, but Romans 14, 3, COVID translation, I think is, is very valid. So as we begin to meet, whether it's this next Sunday or in a few weeks or whenever that is, uh, things will look different. Different programs may not start right away. Station 316 won't be returning for some time. But how, how wonderful an opportunity for us to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace and to not needlessly poke other people with our clearly correct views. You understand. Time for us to practice some humility. I would like to pray for these things and for a number of other things that are on my mind. But would you join me as we worship in prayer? Father, how, how good it is to come and to worship as we pray together. And we thank you for your presence among us uh, through even this medium of, of electronics, uh, separated, yes, by space, and yet united in spirit and intent on one purpose. And our Father, I thank you that the unity that's ours in Christ is greater than these other things that would divide us. And I pray, O oh God, that we would indeed obey the word of God in maintaining the unity of the Spirit, in the bond of peace, in a way that, as Jesus prayed in John 17, would cause others to say, uh, the Father must have sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Look at the unity that is there in that church family. And Father, maintaining that unity of Spirit is not easy in these days. And we, we come to you today on behalf of our hurting and broken world and our hurting and broken country. Our hearts are so grieved in these days, not simply by a disease, certainly so much to pray about there, but by the evident injustices that have stirred all of our hearts in this country. We are are grieved at the loss of life. We are grieved at blatant racism. We are. We are grieved when those who should be trusted violate that trust. 
we're grieved at the consequences of all this for a, a hurting country and danger for many. And even as in my family, first responders who are right there in the middle of it, uh, through no fault of their own, just wanting to serve. And our Father, we, we bring those injustices to you and the resulting brokenness and pray, oh God, would you help? Would you intervene? We continue to believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is indeed the answer to, to racial injustice and injustice of all types. The truly understood biblical gospel is the answer to the brokenness of this world. And so we stay right there with the gospel, not wanting to become crusaders in other areas, but believing that Christ alone can change the hearts of people. Father, would you, would you help each of us in our spheres of influence to so love and, yes, to speak up. We don't want to be among those who are silent over injustice and wrong, and yet at the same time speaking redemptively in a way that promotes gospel in the lives of people around us. Help us with this, our Father. This is not easy. Our Father, for our church family during this season of, of time apart, I pray that whenever it is that we meet together again, that you would allow us to clothe our hearts and our mouths and all of our social media accounts with grace and humility. That you would help us not to, to needlessly irritate other people. That you would help us indeed, as Paul says in Philippians 2, to esteem others as more important than ourselves. And Father, allow us to just be clothed with the love of Christ. Great humility. Father, we do look forward to seeing uh, the, the, the normal functions of this church family returned. We're so grateful for amazing ministry during this time, even broader ministry in some respects. Grateful for this. And yet we look forward to time face-to-face again. So, Father, we, we invite your help uh, for our church family during all of these things. Grace for all of us, for all of us who lead during these, frankly, difficult times to do so. Help us. Help us all. We trust this morning to you as we come closer to hearing the word of God in time now with the kids. We're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for taking the time to interact with me. I appreciate that, even if I poked you just a little bit. Good morning, everyone. Well, as always, it is my pleasure and privilege to open up God's word with you today. So if you do have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and open them up with me to the book of Colossians. Chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 2 through 6 there in that fourth chapter as we continue in our series, Life Under Pressure. So again, that's Colossians chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at the second through the sixth verse in that chapter. And as you're turning there, I want to raise the question that I think is on many of our hearts this week as we learned of the senseless and unjust death of George Floyd. When evil like this occurs, especially when it happens in front of our eyes, on our TV screens, right in front of us, we're left with more questions than answers. We are reminded that we live in a broken world, a very dark world. But in that darkness, us Christians, 
We are called to be a light, to be the salt and light of the world. So as we've witnessed sadness and anger bubble over, as we witness more bitterness and and hate on social media and on TV, it all just seems so dark and out of control. and, And we're left wondering, or at least I am, what can I do? I want to be a part of the solution. But what can I possibly do to help? How can I promote love amid such hate? How how can I promote reason and understanding amidst such confusion and pain? How can there be life under such pressure? Well, of course, as Christians, we know the only answer and the only solution is found in Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer, who he himself stepped into the darkness, stepped into our broken world to redeem it. And uh, he is the light of the world. In him, there is hope, there is joy, and there is life. It is only in him, though. And the question remains then, what can we do? What can we do to shine his light, especially now? in the presence of others? How can we point others to Jesus during this time? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. Our text addresses that as Paul addresses the Colossians long ago. We're going to see his answer to this question. What can we do to point others to Jesus? And that's what our text's about. And as we consider this question, what can we do to point others to Christ? We're going to see that it is diligent prayer and a grace-filled life that belong together. So we're going to get to the text here in a second, but first, I want to pray with you and ask God's help for our time together. So let's go ahead and do that now. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do pause now before we come to a time in your word together to thank you for it. We thank you for the Bible Thank you for showing us what you are like in it, revealing yourself to us. For we know that our greatest need is to know you and to know you rightly. And so that is our prayer this morning, that you would give us a more accurate picture of who you are. Use this time to do that and plant that truth in our hearts. Help us to carry it with us as we navigate living in this broken world. And as we take on our duty, to show you to others. So we thank you for this time and we ask for your help and we pray in the name of Jesus. Be with us. Amen. All right. You got your Bibles? Let's read the text together. Chapter four. Again, we're going to do it two through six. So let's start in chapter, or verse two here. Continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. 
Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Well, you can see we've got a little bit of a shorter text this week. And before we dive into our text, let's take a look at the the broader text of this letter and, and where we find ourselves in it. Remember, Paul's primary thrust in this letter is the preeminence of Christ, the supremacy of Christ. He is Lord of all. And most recently to our text in chapter three, he then begins to flesh out to show what it looks like for a Christian, the one who follows this Lord Christ to live under his lordship. What does that look like? And that culminates in chapter three, verse 17 with Paul's instruction to do everything, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. We're going to come back to that verse a lot this morning. Chapter three, verse 17 In other words, a Christian lives under the lordship of Christ. And as Matt covered last week, we looked at how that applies in the household. But now in our text today, Paul is going to transition. He's going to transition to what that looks like, living under the lordship of Christ. What that looks like in a different context. When we interact with those who don't know him. When we interact with our neighbors, those in our community, in the world those that Paul calls outsiders, those outside the body of faith. We're talking about unbelievers here, lost people, people who desperately, whether they know it or not, need the truth. So notice the shift. Paul is addressing here how a follower of Jesus ought to interact with those who don't follow him. And what does he say? Verse two, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Continue steadfastly in prayer. But note something significant here in this verse that Paul does not merely say pray. He doesn't say this is something you should do. You should pray. That's not exactly the imperative here. The command is not just pray, but continue steadfastly in prayer. That's how it reads here in the ESV. But, but I like how some other translations have it. And maybe this is the translation you have in front of you. The commanding verb is devote. Devote yourselves to prayer. And I like that translation because it really gets at Paul's focus here. Because his focus is not merely on the act of prayer itself. But it is on the very devotion of our hearts. And that's what he's been talking about this whole letter. Christ is Lord of all. He is the supreme one. And as the supreme one, as such, he demands your devotion. So then if you know Christ, then you live your life now. Your heart, your behavior should reflect that devotion to him as the Lord of your life. In word or deed, Paul says, whatever you do, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, your entire existence, everything you think, say, and do is a reflection of your devotion to the Lord Jesus. Devotion. That is a weighty word, devotion. And in Christian circles, some people cringe when they hear that word, devotion. 
Like when we hear someone say, I need to go do my devotions, to read my Bible and spend some quiet time with Jesus. And the reason that we cringe is because we know how we ourselves fail at being devoted to Jesus. We think, man, they've really got it all together, don't they? They're going to do their devotions. Them and Jesus, they must be like peas in a pod. And we look at ourselves in our life and we cringe because we feel shame. And if you're like me, you've struggled in two ways. Firstly, we struggle to actually set aside the time to meet with God. We don't set aside any time, so we just don't do it. Secondly, uh, for some of us, maybe we're we're okay. We're, We're pretty good at setting aside time. But even when we do set aside time, we're distracted, we're interrupted, or maybe we're ingenuine when we do pray. We are not truly present. Our hearts, our minds are far off from the text we read or the words we pray. We're just going through the motions, checking off that box. Our heart is far away. It's like Jesus described to the Pharisees, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts, their hearts are far from me. Make no mistake, doing your devotions, being devoted to Jesus is hard. Why? Because true devotion comes with cost. A great personal cost. Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. There is great cost to following Jesus. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Picking up your cross to follow Jesus in death. It's it's not a once and done event either. It's a daily struggle, something as Christians we have to do every day because every day is a new day where not one thing, but but many things are going to be put in, in, in front of you as the number one thing. You're going to have to put those things aside. You're going to have to deny yourself to follow Jesus. And to do so is to follow his example in the garden and throughout his life. Not my will, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. Saying that is hard. Being devoted to Jesus is hard. So Paul urges, continue steadfastly in prayer. I say Paul urges because I believe there is urgency in his tone here, in his words. And it's no mistake that as he begins to wrap up this letter, we're we're almost to the end of this letter here. As he begins to wrap this up, he, he comes to that with which he began, the necessity and the urgency of prayer. He opens the letter up saying, we have not ceased to pray for you. We've not stopped praying for you. And, and, and there he models exactly what here he, here he presses his readers to do. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Look, we have not stopped praying for you. Now you continue steadfastly in prayer. Prayer should be a resounding hallmark in the life of a Christ follower. But that doesn't mean that it is easy. I love what Pastor Jay said about prayer earlier in this series. If you can think back, it was the second sermon in this series. We were examining that opening prayer of Paul. And Pastor Jay called prayer a pursuit. 
because it is not easy. It, it is hard. It, it requires hard work. And so we must pursue it. It is a pursuit. And a serious pursuit requires serious effort. And so the question is, will we put in that serious effort that is required to continue steadfastly in prayer? Theologian D.A. Carson has a book titled Praying with Paul. It's a really fascinating read. It looks at Paul's prayers that are recorded in scripture and what we can glean from them. I definitely recommend it. But in the introduction, he raises the question, what is the most pressing need for the Western church today? And where he's coming from is he wants to know what is the action, the most pressing action that the church needs to do? What is the most important thing the Western church needs to do today? That's the question he asks, and, and then he raises several possible answers to that question, uh, and they all seem pretty urgent. I'll just go through them here. He says, in a world where Christians are looked down upon, we need to love one another well to be a good witness to our neighbors. Seems important. What about racial reconciliation? Clear biblical teaching on marriage and gender roles, church planting, cross-cultural missions. All these things sound important because they are important. But Carson argues the most important action the church can take is and will be prayer. Why? Because our greatest need is knowing God and knowing him rightly. And the most fundamental step to knowing God is prayer. Not just for the one who does not know Christ, but for the one who has been following him for years and years. Robert Murray McShane said, What a man is alone and on his knees before God, that he is and no more. Similarly, J.I. Packer writes, I believe that prayer is the measure of a man spiritually in a way that nothing else is so that how we pray is as important a question as we can face. It is tremendously difficult to overstate the importance of prayer, not as a conduit to fulfill our own needs and our own desires, but as a conduit to God himself. Because again, our greatest need is to know God better. And this is exactly what Paul prays for on behalf of the Colossians in chapter 1. Let's flip there together real quick. Chapter 1, verse 9, just a little bit before where we're at here. This is what Paul prays for on behalf of the Colossians. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. What is it that he prays for? Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Note in these verses the impact of being filled with the knowledge of God. What happens? What is the results of coming to a more accurate picture of who God is? Well, look at verse 10. This is what happens. Verse 10, so as, so that you might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. This is the result of coming to a more accurate picture of who God is. You walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. 
it should not surprise us that what we think about God has everything to do with how we act before him. What we think about God has direct implications for how we will conduct ourselves in this world. And by the aid of the Holy Spirit, when we come to know him rightly, something special happens. We actually begin to act rightly. Amazingly, when we come to see Jesus for who he truly is, we begin to act like him. This is sanctification by the power of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts to make us new, make us like Christ himself. So all these important things we mentioned earlier, like better preaching, teaching, church planning, missions, all these things, they're improved with a deeper knowledge of God. That is our greatest need. These good goals that we seek out as Christians and as the church at large to do, these things we want to do, they're only found in God. We need to know him better. And so we need to pray. So it should not surprise us then that, that Paul urges, continue steadfastly in prayer. Pray without ceasing, he said in his first letter to the Thessalonians. It is not merely that we are to perform the action of prayer itself, but that we are to be prayers. We are to be those who pray. It's not just about doing, but it is about being. Paul's not after just an action, but a lifestyle of prayer. This goes far beyond checking off a box with a three-minute daily prayer. There we go. Did my praying for the day. Check. Done. Paul's talking about a posture in which we live our lives before God where you are bent towards God in such a way that your normal everyday activities themselves are prayerful. What has Paul just said leading up into our text today in chapter 3, end of verse 23, this leads right into our text. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 23, he says, whatever you do, work heartily as for who? As for the Lord and not for men. Notice the posture there. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. It's about posture. Posture. A little further back in chapter 3, verse 17. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul is trying to hammer home this point, that Jesus is Lord. And as a Christian, don't forget who your Lord is. Don't forget who it is that you're serving. You are no longer serving the master of self. You are now serving the great master of Christ. And whatever you do, whatever you say, let it be done in service to your Lord and Master. As you go through your day, be cognizant of who ultimately you are serving. As you are serving the Lord Christ, and when we are cognizant like this, when we understand what it is that we're doing, who it is that we're serving, where our posture is directed, that's living a prayerful life. Our posture is towards our Master Our life is a life of service. Our actions display this and our motto for all to see around us that we live a life that says, not my will, but the will of my master, not my will, but your will, Lord. That 
is a lifestyle of prayer. And and that's partly what Paul's after here when he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, devote yourselves to prayer. It goes beyond just the action of prayer. But in addition to his emphasis on a prayerful lifestyle, included within that mindset, Paul is emphasizing here also to set aside regular time to pray. As stated earlier, being devoted to Jesus is not easy. It's hard. Being devoted to regular prayer is hard. But too often we use excuses to justify why we fail to pray. And one of the biggest excuses we use is that we simply do not have enough time to pray. And when we say this, we are either lying because we have plenty of time, or more commonly, we are actually telling the truth. We don't have time. But it is a sad truth because that says something else about us. That if we truly do not have time to pray, then Jesus is not the active Lord of our life. That is, we have not put him first above all else, but instead we have devoted our time to some other God or gods, some other master. It could be our pleasure. It could be our work. It could be our family. It could be anything, good or bad. So if you do not have time to pray, then where are you spending your time? There you will find your master. It should be obvious that time, where you spend it, what you actually do with your time, not what you say you do with it or not what you deceive yourself into thinking that you do with it. No, what you actually do with your time 100% reflects where your loyalties lie, where your heart is truly at. So I ask again, where do you spend your time? So do you hear the urgency in Paul's words, the importance of continually, continue steadfastly in prayer, devote yourselves to prayer. You can imply from his word, his words that hard work is needed. Perseverance is needed. Other things, even good things are going to battle for your time. Don't make excuses. Don't give up when thing gets, when it gets hard. Don't abandon prayer. Continue steadfast. Devote yourselves to prayer. If you examine Paul's letters throughout the New Testament, it's clear that he set aside regular time to pray. Jesus, of course, did the same as our ultimate example. And beyond the obvious implication that we can take from that of regularity, we can learn a lot about how they prayed, more specifically, what they prayed. What was the content of Jesus and Paul's prayers that we should emulate ourselves in our prayers? And of course, this is a subject we could spend a long, long time talking about. We could look at all kinds of prayers in scripture and dissect them and talk about what we can learn. But for our purposes today, I want to zoom in on Jesus and Paul, their prayers, one constant theme that they shared. They were missional prayers. Their prayers were missional. Ultimately, their prayers sought out the advancement of God's will, that his mission would be accomplished. What are the opening petitions of the Lord's prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is Jesus teaching us how to pray. He says, pray like this, your kingdom come, your will be done. 
And absolutely, there are there are room for there's room for simple requests like give us this day our daily bread. Of course, we should absolutely pray these things. But the ultimate focus of the prayer is on God's will being done. Our ultimate focus should be reflective of Jesus's famous prayer in the garden, not my will, but your will be done. It is not my kingdom and my will, but your kingdom and your will, Lord. And Paul, similarly to Jesus, builds off Jesus' example. He views prayer also as a participation in God's mission. Just as Jesus modeled, when Paul prays, he invites God's purposes to be accomplished here on the earth. And that is what Paul is instructing for us here to do as well. When we pray, we should invite his mission, his will to be done. What does he say? Look at, look at verse 3 here. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. What is Paul's concern here for what he wants the Colossians to pray? What specifically does he ask the Colossians to pray for? Well, specifically he says, pray for us. Pray also for us. Okay, who's us? Well, of course, Paul, as the author, is included here. And uh, you, you should include Timothy and perhaps even Epaphras as well here. We're, we're talking about Paul and his co-workers. Co-workers in what? what? What were these guys workers in? They were missionaries. Workers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Proclaimers of the good news of Jesus. These were men on mission. And what does Paul instruct the Colossians to pray for on their behalf? That God would open up a door for the word. That God would open a door for the word. This word Paul calls the word of truth in chapter 1. He calls it the gospel, which details the hope laid up for you in heaven, he says. It's the same words which he says the Colossians have already heard and which continues to grow among them and bear fruit as it does among the whole world, he says, as it grows and bear fruits there as well, as people come to understand the grace of God in truth. This is the gospel we're talking about here. That's Paul talking in chapter one in the beginning of this letter and now here to the, in, to the Colossians in our text, he comes back to that same word. That word, he says, Pray that it would go forth. Pray that God would open up a door for that gospel to go forth, for that gospel to be preached, so that we might declare the mystery of Christ. Now, probably Paul had in mind specific doors, certain doors that he wanted God to open in his present circumstances. He had specific opportunities that he wanted God to work in. Those were in his mind. But even so, this instruction to the Colossians long ago to pray for God to open those doors should apply to us as well. We should learn ourselves to pray for God to open up doors. We should pray for the advancement of God's mission because there are things that we should always pray. And the advancement of God's mission is at the top of the list. Pray that God would open doors. And like Paul, we should recognize the doors that that God has already opened for us to walk through. And we should walk through them but we should also pray for God to open even more doors. We should not be content. That's modeling after the example of Paul here and what he instructs for the Colossians. Clearly, Paul believed that prayer 
was an essential part of the gospel going forth. Without prayer, those doors would remain shut that need to be opened. Prayer, it's critical to the gospel mission. And remember, big picture of the letter, where where Paul is at here in his argument, what he's doing, he spelled out his main emphasis, Christ is Lord. And then he transitions, how do we who belong to Christ live under his lordship? What does that look like? In chapter 3, he talks about putting off the old and, and putting on the new. What does that look like inside the body of believers? What does that look like in the household? And now in our section, what does that look like with outsiders, Paul calls them, those outside the community of faith? And firstly, as we've gone over thus far, the emphasis is on prayer. Pray. Pray diligently. And pray that God would open doors. Pray that his mission would advance, that his gospel would go forth. But funny thing, the gospel cannot go forth apart from real people, apart from you and me carrying the message through those doors that he has opened up. It's not just our duty to pray, but also to walk ourselves in obedience to the Great Commission through those doors. And Paul emphasizes that duty in verse 5 when he uses this word, walk. Look at verse 5 with me. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Here Paul gives another directive, another imperative, a command to the Colossians. First, continue steadfastly in prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. And now you yourselves Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Paul is no longer talking about himself and his coworkers, but he's shifted the focus back on the Colossians, back on us, his readers, recognizing that it's not just Paul and his coworkers, but we are also coworkers in the gospel. We too have a role to play in the gospel going forth. And one of the fundamental ways that we witness to our neighbor for Christ or against him, for good or for bad, is with our outward public behavior, the way in which we conduct ourselves in the presence of others. And this is not the first time Paul has brought up the importance of behavior in this letter. Notice his similar use of this word walk in other sections of the letter. In chapter 1, his prayer for the Colossians is that they might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. In chapter 2, he says, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Walk in him. And in the negative fashion, in chapter 3, he says, you too once walked just like the rest of the world. No different from them, I'm paraphrasing. But now put that conduct off. Put on the new... In Christ, you're supposed to walk differently. And now here, he uses that same word walk again. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Paul could not be more clear in this letter that how we walk with Jesus, how we live our lives, has everything to do with our witness for his name. Yes, Our words are important. 
what we preach to our kids, what we preach to our neighbors, those who don't know Jesus. This is important. But if your life does not match up with the message that you bring, then you've already undermined your witness for Jesus. Don't underestimate the power of your actions for good or for evil. We all know the saying, of course, actions speak louder than words. And we know that saying because it's a truism. It's something that we've seen actualized in our experience. That it is true that actions can speak in a way. Actions do communicate in a powerful way. And none more powerful than this, that God showed his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And now in order to show that love displayed to others, our conduct, our actions are also important because we are aligned with Christ. Now on the flip side of this, actions as as powerful as they are, are lost without words accompanying them. The gospel is good news, news by its very nature. It is a message of words. And so words are required to share it. It is not either action or speech, but both together that are needed to witness for Christ. Paul says, whatever you do in word or deed, it's both word and deed that work hand in hand as we show others who Christ is and what he is like. We can say all we want about him, But without following him with our life, we do not point any to him. Similarly, we can be as kind, generous, and loving as we want. But if we do not do so in the name of Christ, then we are not pointing any to him. Walk in wisdom, Paul says. And now in verse 6, he brings speech into the equation. Verse 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. It is not either action or words. It's, it's words and action together. And notice with me the way in which we ought to walk in wisdom, he says, and the way in which we ought to talk graciously, seasoned with salt because our words and deeds are to be done under the lordship of Christ in his name and after his example. Where do we find wisdom to walk in? In Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. And where do we find grace to season our speech? In Christ, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is the answer. So I now circle back with you to the loss of George Floyd. There has been great unrest, of course, as you know, in Minneapolis and across our country following his death. And in the myriad of different responses, there have been word and deed that have only served to hurt and to harm And again, we're wondering ourselves, how can we speak into this situation? What is our role here? And and before we jump to react, before we jump to respond, let us remember the words of our text today. Continue steadfastly in prayer. 
pray that God would open doors. Walk in wisdom. Let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt. As much as we want to be a part of the solution, we must remember that we ourselves are not it. We can't change or heal broken hearts, but we do know the one who can. And amazingly, we do get to be his heralds of hope in this broken world. And in fact, that is our responsibility to actively point others to him. This is our duty. So I hope you are encouraged today, but also challenged to take advantage of every opportunity to make the most use of the time to show others who Christ is and what he is like, both with your speech and with your conduct. This is our responsibility, and this is why diligent prayer and a grace-filled life belong together. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we take a deep breath now with It seems so much going on in our world. And sometimes we're left with with so many questions and confusion and pain, and, and we don't know what to do. But we thank you as those who know you that we know true hope. We know redemption because we ourselves had, have experienced it. And we thank you so much that you stepped into this broken world that we live in now that you stepped in to redeem it and that you continue to do so. We are maybe a little weary that you equip us to do your work here. And we thank you today for the challenge from your word to come to you in prayer, to pray continuously, steadfastly, to keep after it, to keep after you. We know we need you. We know our greatest need is to know you rightly. So please show us who you are. Continue to plant your truth in us and help us then as we interact, as as we interact with those who don't know you, as we interact with this situation and, and many horrible situations that will come. Help us to shine your light before others. Help us to show others what you are like with our conduct and with what we say as well. We need your help for this. So we ask you for it. And we thank you for listening to our prayers and being there to help us. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus who makes it all possible. We pray in his name and through the spirit. Amen. Well, thanks so much for being with us this morning. That will wrap it up for our service today. Hope you have a great week. And hey, hope to see up to 100 of you on Saturday. God bless.